Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today I'm interviewing the author of Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army, John P. Langelier. And his book is published by Shift for Military History. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. When you listen to it, you'll see how knowledgeable John is. He's a, uh, a longtime historical scholar of uh, military history. And uh, he's he, he's done a great job with this book here about the African-American soldiers known as the Buffalo Soldiers. So give it a listen and I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. This is the African-American Studies channel and I'm your host, James Stansel. And I have the great pleasure today of being here with military historian and author John P. Langelier. John P. Langelier. How'd I do, John? Great job. You're, I'm going to hire you as my new agent. Okay. I just want to make sure because I was having some trouble with John's name <laughs> before we went live, but he's a great military historian and a great author, so I wanted to, as much as I could, get his name correctly. And we're going to be talking with him on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network today about his recent book, Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army. Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army. And his book is brought to us today by our friends at Schiffer Military History, Schiffer Military History. So, John, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Well, it's an honor to be with you, James, and it's good to be back home. I've been on the road since March of 2016 with this book, deciding that uh, rather than just sit here and and build it and they will come, uh, which is never (laughs) true, I would not only go on the road to take the book out, but to visit many of the sites that I deal with in the book. And frankly, I have learned as much from the audience uh, as I think I have imparted to them. If I could only get a second edition of the book, it would be about twice as big from what I found on the road. So it's Uh, been a great ride. That's wonderful, John. And I'm hoping that that that, that happens, that you do get a second edition. Um, You know, and I just want to tell tell you, you know, I'm I'm a great lover of books and reading and and history as, you know, a history scholar myself. And your book was great. You know, uh, you know, just even outside of, you know, interviewing authors and stuff. I really enjoyed your book, the the pictures and, you know, you know, the the great history and stuff in there. And I can tell that you spent a lot of time, you know, doing these things. And, you know, thank you so much for for bringing these African-American soldiers of the past to life, you know. Well, it was a, it was a pleasure, and it was a long, circuitous road to get there. I uh, moved to Arizona, where I have now retired mm-hmm. after a, a career doing many things, and uh, I essentially moved out here from a little French Canadian farming community in Illinois to Tucson. Mm-hmm. And you know, the minute you get here, you, you turned around from the life as we knew it south of Chicago to a whole different world of the you know, and of course it was the heyday of. Hollywood uh, making uh, TV shows that instead of of CSI, NCIS, etc., it was a cowboy of the night club, if not multiple. But you never saw, uh, in terms of uh, these TV shows, with rare exceptions, any soldier, uh, or any cowboy for that matter, Mm -hmm. who was 
somebody who was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Mm. Uh, and the only exception to that was a rare, rare television show on that great uh, series, uh, Dick Powell's Zangre Theater, where ah, okay. none other than a fellow by the name of Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> plays a Buffalo soldier. And great role. You never think of Sammy, you know, in the light of Westerns and stuff, although he was literally one of the fastest draws on the planet. He loved fast draw. Uh, but that came and went, and so for the average person, uh, whether it was watching TV, going to the big screen with John Wayne, or in our classroom, you didn't hear about people of color. Uh, there was certainly, if anybody was there, it was the Indians, and 99% of the time they were the evil menace. You know, the, uh, sure, sure. The, the, and so the, the fact that the black soldier, the black cowboy, the black settler was really something that we did not hear about in our in, in any of the the larger media, uh, of course, there was no social media in those days, in the mm. 50s and 60s, etc., or in our classroom space. And, and so I was woefully ignorant uh, for many years until a book came out in the 1960s called The Buffalo Soldiers okay. by Professor Bill Lecky. Mm -hmm. And Bill broke the mold and began to, in an academic world, uh, to, to introduce folks to the topic of Buffalo Soldiers and as with always uh, situations with the pioneers, you don't always get it right the first time out of the shoot. But he mm -hmm. got it right enough that he uh, inspired others. And there was an also another scholar who uh, unfortunately never got his due, and a fellow by the name of Ted Harris, who did his doctoral dissertation back in the 60s mm. on Henry O. Flipper. The, the still best book on Flipper, the one that if you were going to go to anything to start on Flipper, you have to go to Ted's work. But Ted's work was kind of hidden away because it was a doctoral dissertation, and God knows if you write one of those, you don't even want to read your own, much less get it out there to the rest of the world. Yes, very true. <laughs> and, and so, Ted, they were the pioneers, and uh, I kind of, you know, grew up with those things. Not that I ever really grew up. I'm boasting. I, I'm still very proud. <laughs> uh, but I'm pretending that I'm going to grow up someday and find something that I can do uh, when I do grow up. But in the meantime... I spent uh, from the 1960s till two years ago in the public history field, both in the museum world and in the military history world, right. both for the U.S. Army and with the U.S. Navy. And as a consequence, what really got me back into the topic, having shelved it, was I was stationed in San Francisco protecting all of you people in this country from the godless communists coming over across the Golden <laughs> Gate and taking care of America. So, you know, seven hard years there and some hard years in Hawaii, you know, all those difficult and dangerous duty places uh, so that I have many hero ribbons. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I discovered a man that was absolutely, if in many respects, the forerunner to one of many of our, probably for most of us, one of our great heroes of our lifetime, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Well, there was a chaplain by the name of Chaplain Alan Ellensworth, who had been born into enslavement. And, of course, as many of you and your readers know, this was something you didn't go out one morning and say, I think I'll learn to read and write, because it would be punishable all, you know, yes. in heinous ways. But he was so incredibly intelligent. Not only did he you know, learn the basics of the, the three R's, but after he served in the Civil War as a, as a uh, what would be equivalent to a medic, and the Army went into the U.S. Navy, which was integrated in the Civil War, unlike the rest of society. Uh, he was a petty officer. 
he left the field through the Freedmen's Bureau and other things, uh, went on to achieve great education. He had a master's degree in theology at a time wow. contemporary with my own grandfather who barely had a fourth grade education. This wow. man was uh, uh, brilliant beyond all means, and he happened to be stationed at an all-white garrison in San Francisco on Angel Island, which is a magnificent state right, park yes, yes. to this day. And his chapel still stands, and you and I are going to go out and and, and uh, raise big money so we can restore that chapel. It, Let's it, do it. it. It should be a, a national national monument. It's a, it's a national treasure. But with that, he was my reintroduction as I was in California, and then they saw the wisdom of transferring me to, to Germany for a while, and I met a a brilliant young Air Force officer by the name of Alan Osher. And Alan had written his doctoral dissertation on blacks in World War II in, in the in aviation, not only the Tuskegee Airmen, but the larger picture. And while we were there in Europe for several years together, we wrote a biography of Allensworth, and that, that kind of got me started on the okay. path of this present book. So that was the long way of introducing that. <laughs> and finally, I also uh, was able to find other things, a few other films that came out, uh, the, the classic, of course, with Woody Strode, who was right. literally and perfectly bigger than life, and we became personal friends, Sergeant oh, Rutledge. But when yes, when Sergeant film. Rutledge came out, I was a child, and that was too racy of a film for a young, you know, Catholic boy, the, the Legion of Decency, <laughs> would have condemned me to hell, and the Jesuits would have been on my doorstep to take me off to exercise me, so I never saw it on the big screen uh, until uh, later in life, but Again, we were not shown that portrayal in in a, in a, in a great sense until, uh, thank God, Dr. King and others in, in the 1960s okay. began to to open up vistas for all of us. And with the, with that uh, with that the March on Washington and, and Selma and other things, the black soldier became somewhat more of a household word. And the term Buffalo soldier, which unfortunately is sometimes misunderstood and and used for political purposes and, and other purposes, uh, began to, to come to the fore and has many, many meanings depending on your generation or sure, the sure. generation or depending on how scholarly you are versus how popular you want to be. But uh, <laughs> so I'm often Guilty. not popular. I, I'm not often popular because unfortunately I, I am spent too much time with the military and I don't believe in alternative facts. There are facts, and then there are not alternative facts. Okay. The, the, view, uh, the views on this uh, podcast are not necessarily those of the New Books Network, but all of... No, they are, they are, they are not. You're off, you're off the hook. You, you, you're getting what you paid for, nothing, and you're getting nothing from me. No, quite, quite frankly, your audience, uh, as, as, is, as I had mentioned, is the audience that I have uh, embraced on this tour. After working on this book since literally in the back of my mind since the 1960s mm-hmm. till the day I retired, I locked myself away and said, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of images mm-hmm. and thousands of pages of real documentation, regrettably very few from the soldiers themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I want to do something with this. And there's, there's, two, there's two or three better books in terms of literally being academically sound. The one that every one of your readers should read, of course, is The Black Regulars, 1866 to 1898 by William Dobeck and, and Thomas D. Phillips. Tom wrote the uh, the introduction to my book or the foreword, and right. you can see it was 
fun and tongue in cheek. Uh, he takes no prisoners. He makes me look politically correct. Um, but uh, and he showed up on my doorstep in the 1960s, writing a doctoral dissertation again on a subject that virtually none of us had known about, and helped open my eyes to the subject. Then, of course, the the dean of all the people working on the the black military experience in the West is Frank N. Schubert or Mickey Schubert. Mickey has written such things as Voices of the Buffalo Soldiers, which has some of the few actual words of the black soldiers from the soldiers themselves from the soldiers themselves and then his black valor on the medal of honor the black medal of honor recipients from 1870 to 1898 and then of course his massive volumes called trails of the buffalo soldiers which are little snippets of information that he's gleaned over the years well i took these ideas and said you know what i don't want to write for other academics i'm not a, I, yes i have some credentials but I'm not at the level of some of these people. I want to write for people like myself who maybe knew something about the subject but wanted to know more and make it a, a shall we say, a, a, an appetizer. So that's why the photographs, because the photographs allow our reader to literally look into the eyes of those men and the women who accompanied them, some extraordinary women who oh, never yeah. get their due, uh, and say, these are real people. They're not. They're not plaster saints. They're not... All these things that we sometimes read history of George Washington, the men with the square jaw and wooden teeth or whatever, <laughs> uh, the nonsense that we get in our minds is these are real people. They are they are the ancestors of many people who have been denied their their past and their pride and, and who they are and where they came from. And I wanted to make it an accessible book so that people would learn to to appreciate this and go on to other more solid academic works, or if not, at least have the have hopefully the joy of learning a bit more about the people. And so the book was divided up into, yes, you have to tell the military story of, of the bravery and mm-hmm. the complexity of being a black soldier in a white West fighting American Indians, fighting Latinos. Uh, this was not a rainbow coalition. I wish that it had been, but this was no. America of the 19th century, and we can't apologize for it. It is what it is. And given the opportunity or lack thereof especially after reconstructions came crashing to a halt and that strange fruit hanging from a tree was more likely to be the case for a black man and occasionally a black woman in the south Mm -hmm. it was time to go elsewhere and while the great migration takes place later on my argument is that the exodusters to kansas and Mm -hmm. some of the Oklahoma area and the people we now refer to popularly as the Buffalo Soldiers began that great migration as a trickle before it became a flood. And we mm-hmm. owe a great deal to them. And so we have the three black graduates of West Point of the time, of course, mm-hmm. Henry O. Flipper being the first. Four years of going to college without having anybody speak to you in any social terms right. other than formally come to the board solve this trigonometry problem or translate this Latin verse or whatever from Cicero. How how we could get through that is beyond me. These men were heroes if they never stepped into the fray afterwards mm-hmm. to, to survive that. And Flipper and Charles Young, Charles of course, Young, the last, right. and then John Alexander in, in between, who died tragically of a heart condition very quickly, died peacefully in a in a chair getting his hair cut at Wilberforce, mm-hmm. one of the great schools of this country oh, yes. to this day. HBCU. Um, absolutely. And so we have these... Three West Pointers, we have the, the African-American chaplains, including Chaplain Theophilus Stewart, who mm-hmm. wrote extensively on black soldiers and for the first time putting things into print for, if you will, in a context from somebody who lived there. And 
his wife was his second wife, his first wife passed. His second wife was extraordinary. She was, to my knowledge, the first black woman doctor certified in the state of New York. Think about oh. how black doctors there were in general in the in the you know post Civil sure, War. Yeah. And then to be a woman to step up. We're talking about people who we're you know, we are standing on their shoulders. I mean yes. uh, they paved the way for us. And the common soldier who we know so little about. This Medal of Honor recipients and, and, and those who don't receive the medal, mm -hmm. but who do their duty and again and again enlist and re-enlist. And this is not like the average guy who comes in off the boat from Ireland or the guy who's out of work in New York or whatever. Uh, it's a job of work. It becomes a profession of arms for these black soldiers who will enlist and re-enlist and, and spend a career in the military, many of them, and will have the lowest desertion rates as well as the highest reenlistment rates in the army of this era, where in some cases over 20-plus percent of the army will desert in some years, mm. but not in the black regiment. So these, these men took their, their job seriously, their, their profession seriously, not only for themselves, but I suspect that they really knew what impact yes, there was on the black community and hopefully on the white community through the eyes of such guys as Frederick Remington, who was, a, you know, like many of his peers, was a racist and would use the N-word, but came from doing caricatures as a young artist that no one knew mm -hmm. to embracing the Buffalo Soldiers and indeed using the term in a major, major publication, the USA News of the, of the time, if you will, the term Buffalo Soldiers, which helped popularize that term. But he didn't tell us where in the hell he got the idea from. He just uses it. Uh, but because of his illustrations and because of his, his writings as somewhat of a, an early-day embedded reporter, mm -hmm country at large began to experience something that was not just the, the white generals who had been the Civil War officers who, who came west to, to uh, do the bidding of the government and westward expansion. We, we began to look into the eyes of these men, and he began to see them as men and as right. ex-soldiers and some of the best soldiers in his short but incredible career he would capture uh, on, in, in prose and in picture and leaving us the better for it. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, dying young himself and his kind of window into that world, a fellow by the name of Powhatan Clark, whom hopefully mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit later, helped him uh, view that window. And Clark was a southerner, born in Louisiana, to a Confederate officer as a father, and probably was more, quote, in the liberal vein than most of the people of the time who professed mm -hmm. a good, solid abolitionist and such who Yes, we want these people to be free. I just don't want them to live in my neighborhood or date my daughter. Uh, this was not the case, obviously, with, with Clark, who received the Medal of Honor and said blatantly in a letter to his mother, which is something that was never meant for publication, mm -hmm. these soldiers are the finest soldiers in the world. I would serve with no other but them. Wow. And, uh, and uh, coming from a Southerner, you would have thought it would have had a different approach and he ultimately went and studied the German army uh, in the 18, early 1890s mm -hmm. and still came with the opinion that our army, our black soldiers were amongst the finest and came home to try and train those soldiers uh, to be even better than they already were. So it's been an inspiring situation to read the words. And I literally just got back from reading his diaries, probably never opened except by Dr. Phillips and a couple of others since Clark's tragic untimely death in the mm -hmm. 1890s. He was a very young man. And read firsthand Frederick Remington's diaries from going from, yeah, these are black guys, so what, to, oh, my God, these are, the, these are amazing 
amazing men who I have to take my hat off to. And he will capture, as Dr. Uh, Phillips uh, points out, out of his over a thousand, say about 1,200 uh, illustrations mm -hmm. dealing with the frontier and the West and stuff, about a, a 20% of those are of, of, of the black military experience. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've seen a lot of those myself. Yeah, and he's the only individual, with the exception of a couple of obscure images from an author or an, uh, an illustrator by the name of Rufus Zogbaum, a household word. You just think, oh, Rufus Zogbaum, yes, I have all his art. <laughs> no one remembers no, Rufus. No, no. <laughs> he, was, he was the pre-Remington, the pre and he did one literally token image of black soldiers that we know of, and there were probably two or three other images. But Remington was the king of, of, of portraying yes. the military in the West and the black military in the West and giving that, that group of people the nameless faces names. And so that was the goal of this book is to try and put names or at least faces mm -hmm. to the individuals. And I now have sometimes names to those faces that I didn't have until I went out and found and talk, a descendant right. or a local historian who loved uh, the topic and knew more about Fort Buford, South Dakota, than any loving person on the planet, but you'd only meet them if you were at Fort Buford on a rainy day giving a talk to an audience <laughs> of 12 or 14 people and uh, all the way up to audiences of 400 in Denver, Colorado, where it's been, it's been humbling for me and inspiring, and I'm praying that the book will go into a second edition. And the follow-on book, which is right now under the working title of, of Knight Errant, O'Hatton Clark, Frederick Remington and the Buffalo Soldiers, using their first-hand information uh, that has been scattered to the four winds and putting it all back together like a, a, an archaeologist or a detective has to do in a, uh, you know... A, or a great military historian. <laughs> well, I don't know a great military historian, but one that I'm finally stoked about, a book. I've written many books, but sometimes I fall asleep reading them and certainly write them. <laughs> uh, so if you have... Uh, people out there in the audience who have trouble sleeping at my age, I do. My books are the perfect tonic. Oh, no, and, no, 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 no. And I have to also give a plug to True West Magazine, who Bob Bozbell, right. yes. who's a, a legend, a, 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 truly not a legend in his own mind, but truly a wonderful legend, <laughs> has the following. Bob encouraged me to go on this border-to-border -border Buffalo uh, soldier tour, and I now know why publicists get paid big money, because the phone gets slammed on in your you're, you know, when you call and your emails don't get answered and, and, and uh, it's been difficult, but it's been uh, highly instructional for what somebody has to do to promote a book. Not for the sake, in this case, of making a lot of money. The whole dollar and fifty I make a book on, on royalties is, <laughs> is not going to pay for the phone call we made today. Uh, but it, it has been enlightening and it's helped me understand how you get word out to the public. Sure. And made me think that the two documentaries that I did for the old A and E network mm -hmm. uh, before the the history network was even around, um, I want to go back and do more in the show that I did uh, uh, for uh, for PBS uh, the for Love of Liberty uh, mm -hmm. with Halle Berry as on camera host, whom they would not introduce me to. Can you imagine that? I mean, That's horrible. What, it is, it is horrible, and I don't understand what the restraining order was about at all. Uh, but uh, that's another story for oh, another time. Goodness. Yeah, I actually uh, have that in my collection, too, by the way, to let you know. I do have that in my collection, that DVD. They did a great job on it. She was an outstanding choice. And the voiceover people talk about 
lot of people who made no money. You knew everybody who was on there was somebody who made more money in a day than you and I could make in a year. Uh, and yet every one of them did it for scale, which was pennies, pennies. And that tells us once again that we thank God not live in a different time than when these men and women were in the, in the West, the Buffalo soldiers, earning their spurs and, and creating a, a reputation, a well-deserved but not always uh, lauded reputation or known reputation, that we are light years ahead of where we were, but we are not where we should be, I guess, is the other part of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the, the story. The rest of the story. All right. And we, we're here on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I hope you're enjoying our, our conversation we're having here with the author of Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army, military historian John P. Langelier. And uh, his book is published by Schiffer Military History. And, you know, again, John, thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with us and, and really taking the time, you know, through your, your research to to do this book. And like you said, it's not necessarily going to be, you know, you know, the most scholarly book for people who, you know, who are, are looking for that heavy scholarship. But the, the images and the pictures, this is a great introduction for kids, for younger people, for maybe, like you said, the a- average reader, you know, you know, an entree for them to to get into the proud military history of African-Americans, particularly those known as the Buffalo Soldiers from, uh, you know, 19th century, early 20th century. So I salute you, sir, for your great Well, thank work. you. And, and also the the most important part of the book, besides the pictures, is there is a good bibliography. So yes. it's the yes. further reading. So if you want to go on to, to go from your undergraduate class here that I've just given you to your graduate <laughs> work, you can then go read the bibliography. And frankly, um, you, as you well know, we have are blessed by two African American uh, dynamos uh, that have started museums on the Buffalo Soldier. Mm-hmm. One, of course, in your area in Houston, and then there's one in Tacoma, uh, Washington. And I visited both. I've been been uh, uh, blessed by speaking at both places uh, over mm-hmm. the last year and a half, uh, amongst other places. And uh, they both have no funding. And yet they carry and show the flag without uh, heavy government subsidization. They get no government subsidies, although we're attempting to get a grant at the one in Tacoma to write what will be a prototype of a 5th, 8th, and 11th grade uh, studies uh, materials so that a curriculum guide. So if you're teaching at, you know, middle school or, or high school or whatever, you can use these curriculum guides for your students and to serve your students that perhaps did not realize that their pride uh, should extend back a long ways mm-hmm. in, in who they are and also those who aren't African-American. It doesn't matter. This doesn't. is not African-American history. This is not just military mm-hmm. history. This is American history. Absolutely. And we have to keep that in mind. Yes. And the days of, of us compartmentalizing and segregating ourselves are, thank God, long past. And we need to look at pictures Holy, as we step back, as opposed to up close, like a mosaic. If you look at a chip in a mosaic, you don't see the picture. Think about it. And Absolutely. so, uh, I, I'm hoping we'll do this. Uh, the people at, at the museum are working diligently to get this out. And if we can do this, that means we can clone it in Texas or Arizona or California oh, yeah. or elsewhere, and put the local information in uh, with the, the broader topic and bring mm-hmm. it bring it literally home. That's the object of the drill. Bring it home. To the to the young student, um, and in order to do that partially too, uh, my publisher has for those of us who still 
you know, I have to have a book in my hand. I'm sorry if I don't have it in my hand. I have to, I have to touch that bus, you know, dust jacket right. and flip it and smell that new ink and things. But the the uh, my book is now available of, through Shipper on as an ebook also. Oh, so okay. I realize that that is important for people who travel. I'm one of those guys who literally driven to last year over almost twenty thousand miles to all these Buffalo Soldier sites to speak. And I do books on CD, and I, I they're they're a godsend. My book will never go on CD, but it is, <laughs> but it is an e, it is an e, unless you and I do the voiceovers and we bring could, it to life. Could, and that's yeah. a, and and actually that's another thing we're laughing. There's a book called by Elmer Kelton, who okay. was an old journalist in Texas, as you're probably familiar with. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, one of the best uh, Western authors, and I'm not trying to demean other fiction authors of the Louis Lamore ilk and such, but Elmer Kelton somehow could capture a topic and capture his audience. And he did a book that if you read no other book fictionally, Wolf and Buffalo, it is a magnificent work. And it's actually been turned into a, uh, a two volume, uh, rather than just the typical dulcet tones with a guy with a great voice like yours reading it. Everybody has a part. So they make you as the first sergeant. And I'm the old, the old curmudgeon. Right. It's an audio drama. It's like an old radio drama, and it is absolutely worth yeah, hearing as a radio right. drama or picking up as a book for good reading. Uh, it's not history, but it brings it brings the the some thoughts about what it must have been like right. to act in the post Civil War era mm-hmm. to leave the life of the plantation and start anew in a totally foreign place. Uh, with a completely different way of approaching one's worldview, and so it's certainly worth worth your readers doing. It's one of those summer reading things uh, that I would be taking on my my uh, my tour uh, to Skagway, where I'm going to be speaking on Buffalo Soldiers, believe it or not, in August, because the 24th Infantry helped maintain law and order uh, in a uh, in that wild and woolly Klondike Gold Rush era. And there's a place called. And I know you and I need to go up there and make sure it's done right, but there's a place called the Onion Saloon. We would never go into a saloon, but, no, you know, no, no, if, no, no. if we did, the Onion Saloon actually is comprised of the three buildings that were the Buffalo Soldier Barracks okay. up there. Wow. Those soldiers must be smiling down on us going, wow, we made it. Our yeah, barracks is a saloon. A saloon. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate. Now, when I grow up, I do want to be a bartender, so there you have it. Um, but uh, these are things that you know many people don't realize in their own backyard where they have the great museum in, in Houston or the mm-hmm. great museum in Tacoma or the wonderful sites like Fort Concho, one of my favorites in, oh, okay. in the charming town of San Angelo. You step mm-hmm. back into time there or go to Kansas to Fort Larned where I just recently spoke mm-hmm. and or go to the grave site of some of the folks in, in El Paso in the, in, who okay. are in the Buffalo Soldier section of, of, the, of the cemetery there, the Concordia Cemetery. Okay. These people lived and died uh, for a cause and for us as great Americans. Right. And, boy, I didn't do them justice, but I keep trying. Hopefully I will yeah. someday. Well, you, I mean, you, you may not feel like you've done them justice, but you definitely got, got a great start down that road, John. <laughs> Because you, you you have a great book here, and like I said, it's it's a great you know entree or entry point for people who want to learn about um, you know the these soldiers you know nice pictures and images and like you mentioned you know the uh, the bibliography in there um, you know you know all those different things that you have in there I mean this is this is a great I, I think you underestimate what you've done here John a little bit so so kudos to you. And his book well, I'm used to having books that come off the press and are remaindered immediately, so this is a different. <laughs> 
All right. Well, you know, you have a fan in me, and in, and in well, me. Well, thank you, and and I invite the readers too to to go online for True West Magazine, where I've written a number of articles okay. on many topics having to do with blacks in the West and other aspects of, of, of the Western military, particularly history, mm-hmm. uh, because some of the images that didn't make it into the book came out right after I had the book go to print. Oh, okay. Colleague discovered a cache of glass plate negatives Ooh. of not only the soldiers involved 120 years ago in this incredibly interesting bicycle experiment. Hey, James, let's get on a bicycle. We've never ridden one virtually. <laughs> well, we're going to go from Missoula, Montana to St. Louis on nothing but railroad tracks and bad roads that are muddy. And that's only 1,900 miles, a good stretch of the legs. And we're going to make military history that everybody forgot about. But it was just something that was done at that time. Uh, and again, over, overlooked, and now we're coming up on the 120th anniversary, literally this this month, of of that monumental ride uh, of of troops. And these were glass plate negatives of some of the guys and, and some of the women involved in their life. And a colleague up in up in the Pacific Northwest found them and made them available to me. So they're on in my article on the on the Buffalo Soldiers. Okay. True West uh, Magazine. I, True West Magazine. The June. Uh, 2016 issue because okay. that was the actual 150th anniversary right. of the six Buffalo Soldier Regiments or the regiments we now refer to as the Buffalo Soldier Regiments today were created by Congress. So once in a while, Congress does good things, and we've got to remember that. You know, we've got to <laughs> a lot of people and encourage them to to continue in that vein. You know, yeah, that's that that would be what the people would want. Absolutely, the American people would want. And so we're here with John P. Langelier, the author of Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army. His book is published by Schiffer, Military History. And we're having a great conversation here. John is uh, telling us about some of his adventures he's gone on and, and things that he's seen and, and some of the great work that he's put in to, to, to publish this great book. And again, I, I highly recommend it, not only as a, a, a you know historian and, and a researcher, but as a person who you know enjo- enjoys good books. And this is certainly one for younger people or people who are getting introduced to uh, Buffalo Soldiers, this is a good book. Great images for you. And and John puts out some great uh, bibliography there and some reference areas for you to go in and find some additional works. He's mentioned a lot of them on this podcast, too. So, you you know, you're not only uh, publicizing your book, John, you're you're helping some other folk, you know, with, you know, who can get their research, their research recognized as well. So kudos to you on on that, too. Um can you maybe just tell us a little bit about just, you know, for people who may be getting into research or um, or maybe, you know, kind of don't understand, you know, what it takes to do something like this. How did you go about, you know, finding you talked about this a little bit where you've met people in different places that you've gone. But, you know, how did you go about putting a book like this together? Well, first of all, if somebody has the idea that they want to do this, mm-hmm. it should be like AA. They should call a friend who's an author who can talk them out of this insanity. <laughs> because. Other than the author that we were talking about earlier offline who uh-huh. bastardized with my name in one of his novels, um, oh most people don't make any money on this. This has to be truly a labor of love. So you mm-hmm. have to disimbue yourself of making a lot of money. Uh, you may make a lot of friends, and I guess that yeah. probably would look better on your headstone. I, I wish I had more money. I think it might say, I wish I had more friends. We can never <laughs> have that many. But to, to really answer your question, um, you you have to really drill down. But one of the great things we have that we didn't have when I started this back in the 1960s and 70s kind of passively was we have a lot more things online. 
Now right, we have to be aware because, as we know, things that are online uh, are not always, uh, shall we say, vetted by people who know what uh, the real story is. So sometimes, as they say in, in the old Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, when the legend shouldn't be comes back, print the legend. And so the legend is out there, and you have to be very careful uh, about that. But we have something called Chronicling America, which is from the Library of Congress, mm-hmm. and they are newspapers. Uh, from not everywhere, not all time periods, but there, uh, each year they add more. And you can mm-hmm. take a time period. You can take a place. You're interested in Maryland. You're interested in, uh, uh, you know, Kansas, Chicago, whatever. So you can plug in numerous terms and, mm-hmm. and use those newspapers. And while newspapers then and now are not always factual as we might want, they still give us a kind of a, a beginning starting place. Okay. The the mother the mother load of course is the National Archives because the National Archives has all the records of these soldiers, whether they're their enlistment records, their retirement records, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these things that are imperative and one could spend a lifetime back there and if I could have three lifetimes I'm sure I could never <laughs> do everything I want. But the National Archives is, is a phenomenal resource for your primary material. Sure. But every state, thank goodness, you know, you can go to, to the state archives in Texas or Arizona or the State Historical Society. Sometimes they're joined at the hip. Sometimes they're separate organizations and find material related to your area that perhaps will never morph to the National Archives. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I have an article coming out um, in Montana Magazine that I wrote another lifetime ago when I was tall and handsome and had dark hair. Uh, and played and, and and was being scouted by the Lakers, you know, because after all, my nickname is Doctor J, even though I'm only five foot four. You can imagine how intimidating I can be oh, on the court. Man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at any rate, I um, I found that there were in a chicken coop in Fort Assiniboine, Montana, somebody found the records of that fort. Wow. And there were materials that never made it to the National Archives that I used uh, in this article and that I'll use some subsequently in a a larger study of the Buffalo Soldiers in Big Sky Country. Mm -hmm. Things like uh, references, one amazing reference, one of the minor, minor characters that I reference in the book, although he was certainly known better than most people, Mm -hmm. a fellow by the name of John J. Black Jack Pershing. Mm -hmm. Pershing received his nickname in part because of serving as an officer with the 10th Cavalry. Mm-hmm. But I found an, a letter in these chicken coop handwritten documents where he was attempting to get out of the 10th Cavalry and go to a job that was a, for all whites in one of the Army support units, mm. meaning Quartermaster Corps, which would have meant you and I would have never heard of him because a captain in the Quartermaster Corps was never going to become the commanding general of the the U.S. Army and the Army, you know, American Expeditionary Forces in World War One. He was definitely a man of his time. He was not a friend to the black soldier, despite the nickname. Uh, and indeed, that letter kind of pointed to the fact that he was looking to get elsewhere because he thought maybe his career would do better not serving with the black unit. But what I'm finding in some of the other authors... Uh, I'll back this up. Some of the earlier authors kind of started the legend that it was a stigma to be in a black unit. And the the classic situation of George A. Custer refused a command with one of the the black 9th or 10th Cavalry Mm -hmm. regiments. 
uh, because he was, despite the fact that he was a northerner, he was more of a southerner in his thinking than, than Powhatan Clark, who was say, much more open-minded. And he refused to serve because he was a racist. And, and I, it's just, you know, so many people at that time where it was like you can throw a stone and hit a racist, you know, mm-hmm. that you, you know at, at this period of time. And it's blatant in this time. I'm not apologizing. I'm not naming. I'm just saying this is what it was. And Custer, thank goodness, went to the 7th Cavalry, so we don't have a lot of African-Americans buried on the battlefield up at Little Bighorn, thank God. Uh, a, a bunch of guys from Ireland and Germany and elsewhere are buried right. up there from the, from the battle. Uh, wow. But Custer, Custer was used as a, well, people didn't want to serve with the black hands. Well, some didn't. But a lot of the officers, I'm beginning to discover as I'm doing this new book on Powhatan Clark, mm-hmm. their careers were equal, if not better, to, and including John J. Pershing, who was the highest-ranking officer until World War II, when, of course, we had the, the, the MacArthur's and the Eisenhower's, sure, etc. Sure, sure. um, didn't hurt his career at all. It, it, was not a, it was not an anathema to serve in a black regiment. Uh, and, and these guys got promoted the same, you know, the same way that other, mm-hmm. others were promoted. And frankly, the, the legend of black soldiers getting the worst equipment in it was also not true. We have more, more information mm-hmm. showing that these guys are your top troops. So why are you going to handicap some of the best soldiers you've got, the best marksmen, the guys who are veterans of numerous campaigns who have been in 20, 30, 40 years in uniform, and you're going to give them garbage? To, no, no, it's not true. I mean, that bicycle experiment is a classic example. Mm. That was the first and only big experiment in the U.S. Army for mobility, saying, hey, bicycles are cheaper than horses for a lot of reasons. And a guy can roll into combat, dump that puppy, and go into, <laughs> go into fight, and you ain't, you're not paying hundreds of dollars to maintain, feed, shoe, you know, all these kind of That's things, veterinary services. Uh, and a horse going to wear out. These Army horses were not like the horses that the Comanches or others rode where they could just ride them and, you know, and ride them and ride them because these mm-hmm. were tough, you know, Mustangs bred, bred on the plains or whatever down in Texas and, and on the northern plains. And so this was a classic example of a white officer going to another white officer by the name of Nelson Miles, who became somewhat known for the, the last of the so-called Geronimo campaigns, and Miles, who had served as an officer in, in the Civil War with the U.S. Colored Volunteers or the Colored... Uh, infantry units that were, mm-hmm. were raised a hundred over a hundred regiments, cavalry, mostly infantry, but cavalry and artillery. Okay. Um, and he said, "Go for it, kid. I think it's a good idea." So here's the most junior second lieutenant, almost in the world, uh, with the top man in the army saying, "I'm going to take my black soldiers, some of whom have never seen a bicycle, much less ridden them, <laughs> and turn them into these buff guys that you wouldn't want to go into a gym and see because." They'd make us look like, oh my God, I feel you know like a you know fat old man, which I am. But they were in <laughs> top shape. They were top soldiers. They were proud of it. And one of those photographs that my colleague found, here's a guy in a uniform that looked like he just stepped out of GQ, and on his collar he's got a miniature gold bicycle. The army didn't issue that. He went out in his crummy thirteen dollar a month salary, which was the average or was the starting salary for a private in the US Army at this time okay. and bought something that might have cost him a month's salary because wow. he was one of the guys. I'm one of the guys. I've got bragging rights. I want to show this since the army's not remembering it. But that was a long way to get to the fact that the officers never des- not necessarily found it discrimination, although Henry O. Flipper Certainly was uh, yes, uh, was 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 to use the tar- parlance. He was shafted in many respects. Mm-hmm. Did he do some things that were he shouldn't have done? 
Yes, but tell me a second lieutenant in the world who hasn't made a mistake, and I'll tell you a second lieutenant who died before he was commissioned, because <laughs> all young officers make mistakes until sure. their top right. sergeants get them in, in, under control and 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 take care of take care of their their little little baby second lieutenant shavetails. Uh, but Flipper's punishment did not fit the crime. What could argue? And if he had been a white officer, there would have been a different reaction. Uh, and it's the same way with the infamous 1906 Brownsville incident where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, okay, the old strict teachers that some of us had as children, okay, one of you did something bad, since none of you will fess up, you will all be punished and stand from research. Says, well, it was worse than that, obviously. An entire battalion will be left uh, out to dry to never be able to reenlist, and one of them, Mingo Sanders, helped Theodore Roosevelt go up San Juan Hill was an instrumental as a lot of the black troops were going up San Juan Hill with the Rough Riders who most of them had never seen uh, or uh, an enemy uh, in their sights and had never fought in a, in a real conflict. Uh, anyway, Sanders was just a few months shy of his retirement, so he was denied his retirement and died essentially a pauper as a result of it. Yeah, very sad. Uh, we do have incidents of racism. Certainly, it was there. But it was probably a more open society again than than the sharecropper and the 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 clan and other things being experienced simultaneously in the deep south and and certainly some and the army wasn't overt in its racism in the sense of not supplying them with the best that could be gotten at the time and the best that could be gotten at the time was not necessarily great. But the white soldiers were getting the not necessarily great things at the same time, too. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a more complex story, and certainly it wasn't a story of, of being friends with the, the local American Indian tribes. There was one tribe that wanted no black soldiers near the reservation, used the N-word, and made it very clear not to send these buffalo soldiers into our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, racism is learned. Uh, it's not inherent in Unfortunately, it was passed on to some tribal people who were not respectful of blacks. And so the idea that the name Buffalo Soldier came because of, of respect for this, this animal who was almost sacred to some tribal groups really is not, unfortunately, there's no evidence to support that. It might be true, but no one has shown the smoking gun that this is the reason why some Native American groups use that term. Yeah, I mean... You know, and it's interesting that you, that you say that because, you know, you often hear that. Then you know, also often hear that because, the, you know, the skin and, the, you know, they were darker and, you know, those kind of things. So, so I guess from what you have, have found or not found, so to speak, you know, is that there's no evidence that it was any kind of honorary title. No, the honorary part we cannot ascertain. We do know that for certain because of several testimonies of people of the era that it was, yes, um, uh, we can conclusively say that certain Indian groups saw blacks and likened them physically to the bison that they had known. Right, but beyond that, sure. now, you're right. But beyond the analogy of some physical characteristics uh, that they offhandedly saw, because we unfortunately always categorize people when we're not them. We use titles and 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 characterizations and such. So too did the American Indians, because they're no different than anybody else. They're real right. people. Of course, there's no such thing as an American Indian. Just like saying European, what does that mean? You're French, you're German, whatever. Well, you're, you're, you know, a Lakota, you're a, a Vine, which is a Navajo uh, in mm. uh, modern parlance. And so, and there's no universal um, 
view of this. I mean, I some extraordinary photographs of, of black soldiers who had American Indian wives, mm-hmm. and uh, so um, you know, it's like every everything else. Racial prejudice or any kind of prejudice seems to go away once you seem to meet pe- people who are your next right, door neighbor, right. and, and once that mystery of them out there, whoever them is. And I would argue that was probably one of the great things that the black soldier did in the West. Mm-hmm. He introduced, in many cases, Montana and Arizona, for instance, had virtually no blacks until the black soldiers showed up as in by the hundreds as in regiments mm-hmm. and along with wives and families and, and others who came along, introduced certain places in the West to blacks for the first time. And it was like, hmm, these blacks come in the town. They're squared away. They don't start fights. They're not killing each other here. They're spending money in our town. And, my God, you know, there's there's good if not better than the white soldiers who had been here before them. And what was I thinking, you know? And and so a place like Missoula. Maybe they're okay. In Missoula, Montana, literally, uh, when the 25th Infantry, the main body that lived at Missoula, Mm -hmm. um, left, uh, the town turned out to say their farewells. Not something you would have thought. So again, yes, was there prejudice? There was, but black soldiers helped break down racial stereotypes and barriers. Um, And if they could have been other places, uh, I think America might have been different earlier than it was. It wouldn't have taken until after World War II to start getting our act together and and integrating. So um, it's the what-ifs of history. But I, I think, again, uh, as, uh, as uh, Professor Rafer Logan said, before there was a Jackie Robinson or Ralph Bunch, there were the Buffalo Soldiers. And yes. uh, my battery is going dead, but uh, I guess that's a good <laughs> sign that you should cut me off. Not my personal battery, my battery on my phone. <laughs> well, I hope, I, hope it was, I hope it was not your, your, your personal battery. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've been assaulted and battered before, but it's not that one. I'm old, but I don't have a battery yet. It may be coming soon, and probably you've made it happen because you're 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 tired of listening to me, and I wouldn't. Uh, I owe you a drink next time I'm in in your area. Oh my my goodness! We're here with the author of Fighting for Uncle Sam: Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army, published by Schiffer Military History, John P. Langelier, and uh, yeah, we are gonna. Uh, you know, kind of get here close to the end. His battery is running down, so we can't talk with him <laughs> forever. But we've definitely had a good conversation so far here, John. I wanted to give you the opportunity before you go, if you want to point our listeners in in the direction of any other uh, current research or future research that you have, or you've mentioned your True West articles, and, that, and that's awesome. They can look you up there. But please share with us briefly anywhere else they could find you. There's a, you can obviously Google me and find other, other uh, things that I've done, uh, but the uh, one that is out there right now that's kind of a pocket guide you can throw in your glove compartment mm-hmm. is uh, w- by Arcadia Books, and it's uh, uh, Military Outposts of Southern Arizona. So okay. it's the kind of thing you can go to Fort Huachuca, which if anybody is interested in the black soldier experience, Fort Huachuca does one of the best jobs in the wow. country. Uh, of trying to portray uh, the black black soldier in the West, okay. and so there's the Arcadia book on, on uh, 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 military outposts of so, uh, Southern Arizona. There's the new book I'm working on, and I'm hoping I live long enough to get it done because I'm getting excited about it. And that's the one on on uh, as I say, working title, uh, which I hope next year we'll have this conversation, sure. uh, and it, and it will be on uh, uh, the Knight Errant, Powhatan Clark. 
Frederick mm-hmm. Remington and mm-hmm. the Buffalo Soldiers. And it's kind of looking through the lens of Remington and his art and how he begins to unravel the mystery of who these people are that he never even thought of, much less knew, and how Clark is kind of his guide and Clark's untimely death about a year into his marriage and a little baby who is just born dies tragically. It's one of those things, if we made it into a miniseries, everybody would go, my God, this is worse than Downton Abbey. I'm going to cry every, every episode. And it, it, frankly, should be made into a miniseries uh, because we need to explore uh, in, a, in, a, in a context of popular culture what we have been doing brilliantly by people like Dobuck and Phillips and, mm-hmm. and Schubert mm-hmm. and Lucky before them. Uh, I, I think popular culture sometimes can get to things, as I intimated in the book by Omer Kelton, mm-hmm. that we in history can't because we can't find these facts to substantiate. It, so we can't we can speculate, but we can't substantiate, and that's frustrating for a historian. As soon as somebody invents a time machine, I'm the first guy volunteering to go back. All right. Make sure you Besides, have your, you can, make sure you have. You can tell I don't have any technology on. anyway. I'm a 19th century guy; can't even keep my phone plugged in. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. Uh, yeah, I would I would I would love to go back in time with you, but we would definitely have to have some rechargeable batteries for you, John, because we want you. <laughs> Fully up and at them for the for the an, an entire uh, time travel mission. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing your time with us. Um, it's been fun. It's been great getting to know you. And yes, absolutely. We'd love to get you back for your next book on the African-American Studies Channel, the New Books Network. And, you know, hopefully um, and everyone out there, you know, listening or, or, or watching, go out there and buy Fighting for Uncle Sam so we can get this second edition with all these great new uh, things that uh, John has found in it, and um, next time you come to Houston, John, you definitely got to come through. We'll 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 have some lunch, or we'll we'll chop it up somewhere, as we say locally here. Have some fun, and, and I'm actually going to talk with you offline about coming back and being involved in one of my book forums as well. Um, so the, again, the book "Fighting for Uncle Sam: Buffalo Soldiers in the in the Frontier Army." John P. Langelier, the great military historian. He probably said, oh, "I'm not great." Yes, you are, John. You are a great military historian. Do not underestimate your skills and talents. Over, what, 40, 50 years you've, you've said in the field, um, working as a military historian. He served in the military. He's a great scholar. You know, we got, we got, we, I'm going to give you your credit, even if you don't want to give yourself your credit, John. How about that? Well, thank you, sir. And all I have to say is it's been an honor, and I have bow tie envy. you got to send me that great <laughs> green bow tie for St. Patrick's Day. Absolutely. We, we, can, we can work on that. So we're going to close out here, John, if you can tell my audience goodbye. And, if, and I guess if any, any of them read the book and they have some additional items or something, like you said in your, your speaking engagements, if they want to get back in contact with you and help you with some of your research, they can do that as well. Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, you, you, you broke the code and went to my publisher to get my email address, but it is. Uh, so that tells you, Bill Moyer isn't the only guy that gets good, good stuff and drills down for the story. Right. I'd love to hear from people at my, my email address is my initials, jplhist51 at gmail.com. So that's okay. jplhist51 at gmail.com. I love to hear from the readers some of whom have, as I say, I've learned as much from as yeah. I hope I've imparted to them. And I continue to learn because life is a journey. And all I have to say is, in closing is, is, of course, the motto of one of our great black cavalry regiments, ready and forward. That's right, ready and forward. And you go forward with your work, John P. Langelier, and keep doing those great things. 
you know, as a military history scholar. And again, thank you for your work that you've done with the Buffalo soldiers and African-American soldiers in, in general. Um, you know, you, I think you underestimate the things that you've done, John. And this, this book, particularly Fighting for Uncle Sam, I think is going to be a great entry point for many because of the great work that you've done. And so your work will live, live on for generations. So thank you so much personally for me as an African-American male for the great things that you, that you have done. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. All right. And on that note, we're going to let John go, recharge his batteries up, and we'll see him <laughs> <laughs> next time on a future edition of the African-American Studies Channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Peace and love. Okay, we're back here on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel. I'm your host, James Stansel. I hope you enjoyed the interview with John P. Langelier, the author of Fighting for Uncle Sam, Buffalo Soldiers in the Frontier Army, published by Schiffer Military History. It was great meeting and talking with John. He's a very dedicated uh, historian when it comes to African-American soldiers and military history in general. Hope you enjoyed the interview and definitely get in contact with him. Um, if you have any information that you can think could help him in his research about African-American soldiers. And also, we're definitely going to get him back on the show for his next book about the artist Remington and his representation of the uh, Buffalo Soldiers. So take care. Have a good day. And we'll see you next time on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Peace and love. <laughs>